The following program is presented by the Far East Broadcasting Company because stories of people living out the gospel with their lives inspire all of us. FEBC, taking Christ to the world through radio and new media. Learn more at febctoday.org. I think the great theme of Borden's life is to give one's heart to the service of the Lord. Borden wrote, Lord Jesus, I take hands off as far as my life is concerned. I put thee on the throne of my heart. Use me as thou shalt choose. And God did use William Borden even for a brief time before he died as a young man. Welcome to First Person. I'm Wayne Shepherd. I'm pleased to have biographer Kevin Belmonte back with us this week to talk about the life of William Borden, the Chicago millionaire who became a missionary candidate before his death at the age of 25. We'll look back in history and get to know Borden of Yale in just a moment. Before we begin, though, a word of thanks to the Far East Broadcasting Company for making these conversations possible. William Borden was headed to China as a missionary when he died, but today in China, millions tune in on radio and online to the Far East Broadcasting Company to hear the same gospel message that inspired Borden. Learn more about FEBC by visiting firstpersoninterview.com and click on the banner that appears at the top of the page. Kevin Belmonte is the author of many books. We've talked with him here on First Person about D.L. Moody and G.K. Chesterton. Well, he's just completed a yet-to-be-published biography of William Borden, and I ask him how he came to write it. Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, it's really pretty extraordinary how that all came about. Uh, Gail Borden, a member of the extended family, was someone I met a few years ago when I was speaking at Oxford and Cambridge for a conference, and uh, she got in touch with me knowing about my work on William Wilberforce in years past in the film Amazing Grace, and asked me if I might consider writing about William Borden and First of all, did I know who he was? And I did. I heard about him when I was at seminary at Gordon-Conwell Seminary and uh, looked at the paperback that has uh, been issued in recent years about him. And uh, so I, I read the back of it, and, and I knew a little bit about it. Uh, but uh, at Gail's request, I began to go through some of the sources and see if there might be a way to retell the story for a, a new audience, a modern audience. And uh, when I got immersed in the sources, I was really captivated by what I found. I have to admit that I did not know much about Borden, although I think most of us have heard the phrase Borden of Yale, even though we don't know why we know the phrase. Uh, why is this man important? Well, it's uh, a story, as you say, from about 100 years ago. And yes, the phrase Borden of Yale is one that, that many will know. Uh, I think... My friend Jason Casper over at Christianity Today captured it really well. He wrote an article a couple, three years ago for Christianity Today, and uh, he said the forgotten story of William Borden, and the, and the tagline for the article said, the most influential missionary of the early 20th century never made it to the mission field. Mm. And then unfolded William Borden's story, and very quickly, he was educated at Yale, trained at Princeton Seminary as well, had a a top-shelf, first-class academic training for missionary service in China, which he had decided on when he was about 17 or so that he wanted to go there and try and reach the Muslim peoples in China for Christ and do both uh, medical missionary work, but then also work in a more formal sense as a missionary. So that was his goal. And uh, just after he finished seminary, he had a wonderful tour of America's colleges and universities, 
on behalf of the student volunteer movement. That finished in December 1912. He sailed for Egypt to learn more about the Arabic language, and then he was going to learn Chinese as well. But sadly, he contracted a cerebral spinal meningitis in Egypt, and within, say, three weeks or so, maybe a little less than that, uh, he died. So it was uh, a story that really captured the hearts and the imaginations of so many people who'd seen great promise in him and expected great things. And uh, the story went all over the world. It was a very influential story. And right away, people began to say that there should be a book written. And indeed, Geraldine Guinness Taylor, whose nephew, Oz Guinness, uh, is a great friend of mine, uh, she told the story in 1926 and gave us that phrase, Borden of Yale. I want to learn more about Borden as we talk here today, Kevin, but I'm reminded of men like, well, Eric Liddell and Oswald Chambers, and in our day, the young Muslim convert Nabil Qureshi, who died so young when it seemed like they had such a promising life and ministry ahead of them. Um, it's hard to explain. It is, and I'm so glad that you brought up uh, those wonderful examples in recent Christian history and from the past. Uh, it is true that a lot of these concerns are with us and they're very timely, and, and Eric Little particularly is important. He was about 11 years old when Borden died and uh, went to China as a missionary not so very long after Borden's death in 1913. And so he would have known about William Borden, would have been inspired by his example, just as someone like Jim Elliott and the missionary yes. martyrs from Ecuador in the 50s. Right. For, for several generations after Borden's death, his story was read by people in the millions, and, and the book, Borden of Yale, that we've been touching on, went through uh, many, many editions. It, it had a huge influence, and so you're right. I, I think of it sort of as being a, a matter of stewardship, really. We hear these stories from the past, and somehow elements of these stories resonate with us in our own Christian walk, our own faith journey. When we read them, and we see the challenges that they faced and the way that they they strove to live for God. Uh, these things uh, have power. We're a hundred years removed, but they still speak to us and still have so many lessons for us. Hmm. I was fascinated to learn that he was a Chicagoan. I've lived in Chicago many years, and uh, you know, Moody Bible Institute, Moody Church figured into uh, Borden's life. Uh, talk about his early life. He came from a very well-to-do family, didn't he? He did, uh, and his father was. Uh, quite a force of nature, a very bright man who'd been to university and actually trained as a mining engineer. Uh, he convinced some of the early titans of finance and industry in Chicago to back a mining venture. Marshall Field was one of them, I believe. And uh, they invested money in uh, a silver mine, and they struck a very rich vein. And uh, William Borden's father walked away with a, a rather princely fortune as part of his venture, was able to invest in real estate after the Great Chicago Fire, and so the family accumulated quite a substantial source of wealth. And so William Borden was born a child of privilege, but his parents were remarkable people. They cared very deeply about helping their children be grounded, be well-educated, be exposed to things of faith, his mother in particular. And she and young William Borden had deep ties to the Moody Church, and in years to come, William Borden actually became a trustee of Moody Bible Institute and was a great benefactor from his own funds 
of the Moody Church. So the Chicago element to the story is very strong. Yeah. And since he was moneyed, he didn't really have to do anything in life, did he? he? He did what he chose to do, and he chose to serve the Lord, of course. That's true. And, uh, you know, it's a unique circumstance. Uh, as he approached the prospect of serving with China Inland Mission, his intent was to fully fund his missionary venture out of his own funds. And sadly, as we know, he didn't live to fulfill that desire. But when he died, he made a a munificent request in his will and gave what amounts to several million dollars today to China Inland Mission. And in his memory, the Borden Memorial Hospital was built there in China. It still exists. His name is still on the building. And there is a legend in Chinese characters over the entryway. I've seen pictures on the Internet uh, saying, For God so loved the world. So there are things that really... Uh, have a wonderful, powerful attraction for us about this story. There's something very poignant, but something very powerful as well. As the son of a prominent businessman in Chicago, he was sent away to boarding school, which was pretty common in those days, correct? It was, and uh, his parents, uh, they they were very wise about the nature of his education. Uh, They did both vocational aspects, where he would learn to work with his hands and do things like uh, make boats and uh, make a beautiful cradle for his little sister, which is still used by the family and treasured. Four generations of Borden descendants have uh, been uh, reared as infants in that cradle. But there was also an emphasis on academics. You're quite right. Um, The thing that was different for Borden was he was sent to a a boarding school, a prep school, as it were, uh, with a very strong Christian component. And he was hearing people like G. Campbell Morgan and Robert Spear, uh, names that used to be very well known on a time in Christian circles. And these, uh, these Christian leaders, these thought leaders, would come to the school he attended, the Hill School in Potsdam, Pennsylvania, and they would really help deepen and inspire uh, Borden's Christian walk. And so his parents' choice of a boarding school, it was uh, anything but that the pictures that we have, you know, of the British boarding schools where you're lonely and there mm-hmm. are all kinds of uh, bullying that goes on. It was polar opposite of that. It was just a wonderful opportunity for him to grow academically, but also to grow spiritually. So it really enhanced his character. Absolutely. He would have said it was foundational for him, and they have a wonderful plaque to his memory right there in the chapel at the Hill School. And I might say that the archivist there, Lou Jeffries, has been a, a great friend to my research, so I give a shout out to them. They, they cherish his memory there. We'll continue talking with biographer Kevin Belmonte about William Borden coming up on this week's edition of First Person. Listening to your station is my first priority when I get home. Sometimes I even listen twice. First on the radio and then through the internet. Thank you for all your hard work. The Far East Broadcasting Company is dedicated to presenting Christ to the world through radio and new media, and we receive millions of responses every year from grateful listeners. To learn more, visit our website, firstpersoninterview.com. That's firstpersoninterview.com to learn more about FEBC. My guest is Kevin Belmonte, the author of numerous books and numerous biographies, including uh, a biography of William Wilberforce, D.L. Moody, A.J. Gordon, and now a new one, William Borden, A Life. 
And uh, I'm very excited about this. I, I love to read biographies, as you know, Kevin, and, and happy to have you here to talk about it today on the program. Uh, we left off a moment ago with William Borden going to a, a, a school in, is it Pennsylvania where he attended? Yeah. Okay. And then on to Yale. And we have always heard about Borden of Yale. And what, what was it about Yale that really shaped this man? Well, I think there are two points of connection that are helpful here when we think about Borden and his uh, his ties to Yale, his time there. First was the D.L. Moody connection. Uh, Borden, because he attended the Moody Church in Chicago, or as he would have known it as a young man, the Chicago Avenue Church, uh, he knew only too well that Moody's sons, uh, Will and Paul, had attended Yale, and Moody said so many good things about Yale. So the school would have come highly recommended on that account. Borden's elder brother, John, had attended Yale, and so indeed had an uncle in the family. So there were already some family ties there. And the Hill School, his prep school, uh, it was quite a feeder school for Yale. So there were lots of reasons why he would have gone there. But when he arrived there, he connected very quickly with the work of the YMCA there and uh, the work of a student organization under the auspices of the YMCA called Dwight Hall. And that time of fellowship, growing together with fellow students, under the guidance of a wonderful teacher, H.B. Wright, uh, who was a great uh, Christian scholar, but also who had been influenced by D.L. Moody in the Northfield Summer Conferences, all these streams of Christian heritage and influence came together to create a very rich environment for Borden to further his education on the one hand, but to become a real student leader at Yale as well. Do you recall what year he graduated Yale? Yes, 1909. 1909. We could pick out uh, so many stories about uh, his time at Yale, but I want to focus on the rescue mission in New Haven there. That uh, I understand he began the rescue mission, did he not? Yes, he did. It was an extraordinary thing. He was only 19 when he took that on, so he hadn't actually reached 21 and come into full possession of his uh, inheritance, as it were. But he did have substantial funds at his command, and he donated uh, $20,000 in money from that time, which is about half a million dollars now, a very substantial sum, to purchase an entire building there in New Haven. Uh, he had a classmate named John McGee, who was later a missionary to China and a great hero of rescuing people when the Japanese invaded during World War II. But in their student days, John McGee, who was a little older than Borden, came to him with the idea of helping the destitute. Uh, the lost, those whose lives had been ravaged by, by drink or who were homeless, who were in great need. There was a large population of the destitute right there in New Haven. And the idea was really twofold in nature, to provide a place for them to have food, lodging, vocational skills training, and to be sure, hear the hope of heaven and chapel. Uh, but also for Yale students to become involved with what we would call service projects today, and by giving back as young people of privilege to be transformed themselves by the hope of the gospel and to see that even though the backgrounds were very, very different, uh, people who were poor and in great need and, and students on the one hand or on the other hand uh, who were from quite uh, well-to-do households, there at Yale Hope Mission, both the students and those in need could hear about the hope of heaven and be transformed. So for Borden to take that on at age 19 was extraordinary. He not only supported the, uh, the rescue mission with his funds, but he also spoke there. He did a lot of personal work in witnessing for Christ. And one of the 
men that he reached for the Lord uh, really battled with alcoholism, and his life was transformed. After Borden died, he left us with a wonderful story of what it was like to, to see and hear William Borden, and this is what he wrote. Bill would tell you to hope again, tell you of the God who made the universe and held you in the hollow of his hand and could help you if you'd only ask. That's the way he talked. I went forward and kneeled down, and Bill came and kneeled down beside me, and he explained as much as he could the power of Jesus Christ and how it was only him who could help me. About two years after I was converted, I was remarried right in this building, right upstairs. Bill knew I was going to be married. He met my wife and family. Seemed tickled to death, too, to meet him. We've got a home now in Yalesville, Connecticut, and a big garden, plenty of land, lots of chickens, and a piano in the house. Makes quite a change from when I first came to the mission drunk with no prospects but whiskey. Hearing words like that from Borden's friend, Jack Clark, is really a powerful thing. I think it captures so much of the heart of William Borden's life. He'd caught a vision of the risen Christ, and it changed everything for him. And he knew that it could bring hope and renewal, transformation of the lives of the desperately poor that he met there in New Haven. So to have this keepsake from a friend who'd been touched by Borden's life and witness, it's one of the most precious things that we have from the papers that have come down to us. It allows us to step through the doors of Yale Hope Mission to see what it was like on the evenings when these men would file in looking for food and for shelter and find something so much more than what they bargained on. Let's talk about his decision to go to China and then the events that led to his death. Right. Well, his decision unfolded in a really remarkable way. He graduated uh, younger than most of his classmates from the Hill School, his prep school. He was only 16 at the time. And he graduated, uh, I think it was fourth in his class. Uh, he, he did very well academically. And so his parents, who were wise in many ways, they cared deeply about matters of faith, but also for their son to see something of the wider world, they gave him the gift of a gap year, hmm. as we would call it now. Uh, they paid for him to take a trip around the world in the company of a very gifted young scholar from Princeton Seminary, uh, Walter Erdman. And so he acted as chaperone. They set out for a year around the world. And along the way, they visited the homes of many missionaries in Asia, but also in places like Europe as well. That time was deeply transformative for Borden. He said to his mother in a letter, I hadn't really thought that much about missionaries, but uh, when we began to spend time with them, it really began to speak to me, and he actually, his father sent him a large sum of money as a gift for him to spend as he wished, and uh, he was so touched by the story of missionaries that he gave half of it to support missions in Asia, <laughs> So, which was extraordinary for a young person of that age to do. But I think the real focal point came when he went to London in 1905 and heard R.A. Torrey speak during one of the great gospel crusades there in London. And uh, when Dr. Torrey spoke, uh, there was a wonderful moment where the singing of the hymn, I Surrender All, took place, and Dr. Torrey challenged Borden and those who were listening to think about consecrating themselves, heart and soul, 
for the gospel and the Lord's purposes, and that was a very powerful moment for Borden. He described it in a letter to his mother, and he said, I stood, and he said, I surrendered all, and I decided to to give my all, to give my life for Christ, and to serve him in the mission field. So that uh, that year before he went up to Yale was, was very important for him. Interesting. The circumstances of his death, why did he go to Egypt? Uh, Borden went to Egypt to, to learn Arabic, not only to read the Koran and understand the texts that were important to Muslim peoples in China, but to speak as well. So he was learning conversational Arabic as well as, as the written language. And uh, that was quite a daunting task. He, he never seemed to be thrown by the idea of challenges. And if we step back a bit, think about learning Arabic on the one hand, which was a daunting task in itself, but then he also had to go to China and master Chinese as well. Mm-hmm. And so he was uh, really preparing well for service. Uh, He just was determined to master languages that could help him speak very meaningfully to the lives of the people he hoped to live in and among and influence for the Lord. So he was there learning the language, visiting people, living in their homes, uh, getting a chance to learn conversational Arabic. And at one of the gatherings he attended, uh, he contracted meningitis and... uh, that's uh, where the disease claimed his life. So he was preparing for service. He was on his way to China. That's where his martyrdom took place. Kevin, for you, what is the message that lingers from Borden's life to us today? Well, I think there, there are many. It, when you have a life that's so powerful and, and it resonates in so many ways with the stories of people we know like Eric Little or Jim Elliott, missionary martyrs, uh, that are a little more well-known today, you know, you almost are a little intimidated about the idea of trying to summarize that legacy. But uh, I think one quote from Borden really seems to bring it all to life. Uh, it was something that he wrote down after he'd attended a, a student conference. And I, I think the great theme of Borden's life is to give one's heart and soul to the service of the Lord, whether it's the mission field or whether our mission field is in a distant place or here at home, but the idea of living fully and completely for him. Borden wrote, Lord Jesus, I take hands off as far as my life is concerned. I put thee on the throne of my heart. Change, cleanse, use me as thou shalt choose. And I think that really captures the heart of Borden's Christian commitment and the way that it shaped his opportunities. He realized he'd been given much and much was required of him, and he really strove to be a good steward, to to be well-educated, and to put the wealth that God had entrusted to him uh, to use in philanthropic ways, as he did with Yale Hope Mission. I find great inspiration in the story of William Borden, and I want to thank my friend Kevin Belmonte for giving us a look at Borden's life through the just-completed biography, which I'm certain will be published soon. In the meantime, we'll place links to Kevin's other books, including biographies of William Wilberforce, D.L. Moody, and others at firstpersoninterview.com. Now, next week, we'll meet a young Chinese man who has the same passion to proclaim the gospel to the nation of China as Borden did. FEBC broadcaster Joshua Sun is listened to by tens of millions of Chinese, either online or on radio, an amazing fact that boggles my mind. You'll meet Joshua of the Far East Broadcasting Company next week here on First Person. For other interviews on the schedule, visit firstpersoninterview.com. 
We always welcome your feedback. You can reach us through our Facebook page and also interact with other listeners there. You'll find us at facebook.com slash firstpersoninterview. Now, with thanks to my friend and producer, Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepard. Join us again for First Person.